Ashley Brock, reading Nora Roberts' book, Holding the Dream, Chapter 4. Kate knew it was a mistake even when she set up the appointment. It was, she admitted, like picking at a scab, ensuring that a wound would never heal clearly. Her father's friend, Stephen Tidings, was more than willing to meet her for lunch. She was, after all, his new CPA, and he told her he was a man who liked to keep his fingers on the pulse of his finances. She was sure she could work with him, do her job, yet every time Kate opened the, his file, she fought off a sick feeling in her stomach, flashback memories of her father, bitter complaints about bills, about just missing that big break. She'd forgotten all of that, forged her memories of her parents more out of need, she realized now, than reality. Hers had not been a happy home, nor had it been a stable one, though she had woven it as such in her dreams. Now that it was impossible to pretend otherwise, she realized it was equally impossible not to probe, not to poke, not to know. She had nearly balked when Tidings insisted on meeting at Templeton Monterey. The dining room there was the best in the area, the view of the bay superb. None of the excuses that she came up with had changed his mind, so at 12.30, sharp, she sat across from him at a window seat with a chef's salad in front of her. Didn't matter where she was, Kate told herself as she picked at her meal. Laura was working at pretenses. If anyone recognized her or mentioned it, it would be a simple matter to tell Laura she'd been lunching with a client. It was, after all, true. For the first half hour, Kate guided the conversation to business, strictly business, whenever the circumstances his account was entitled to and would receive her best, and he was pleased, telling her so often as she constantly eased her dry throat by sipping Templeton mineral water. Your dad had a way with numbers, too. Titans told her. He was toughly built, compact man in his middle fifties who beamed at her out of dark brown eyes. Success sat stay stylish on him as his suit. Did he? Kate murmured, staying down staring down at Tidings' hands, well manicured businessman's hands, no flash, but a simple gold band on his finger. Her father had light flash, heavy gold watches, a small diamond ring he wore on his pinky. Why should she remember that now? I don't remember. Well, you were just a little thing, but I'll tell you, Link had a gift for numbers. He could run fingers, figures in his head. You'd have thought he had a calculator in there. It was her opening, and she had to say, I don't understand how someone that good with numbers could make sure, make such an enormous mistake. He just wanted bigger things, Kate, tight inside. He's bagging his here. He had to run a bad luck. Bad luck. Bad luck and bad judgment, Titan's girlfriend. The ball got away from him. Mr. Tidings, he embezzled funds. He was going to prison. She took a deep breath. Was money so important to him that he would steal, that he would risk everything he risked just to have it? You have to see the whole picture, understand the frustration, the ambition, well, the dreams. Katie, Link always felt he was overshadowed, outclassed by the Templeton branch of the family. No matter what he did, how hard he tried, he could never measure up. That was a hard pill for a man like him to swallow. Just what kind of man was he that he would be so envious of someone else's success? It wasn't like that exactly. Obliviously uncomfortable, obviously uncomfortable, tidings shifted his Link had a powerful need to succeed, to be the best. Yes, she struggled against the shudder. Tidings might have been describing the daughter rather than the fire. I understand that. He just felt that if he could catch a break, just one break, he could build on it, make something. He had the potential of the brains. He was smart, hard-working man, a good friend, with a weakness for wanting more than he had. 
He wanted the best for you. Hiding smiles for me. I remember the day you were born, Katie. How he stood there, looking at you through the glass, and making all these big plans for you. He wanted to give you everything, and it was hard for him to always settle for less. She hadn't needed everything. Kate thought later when she sat alone at the table, she'd only needed parents who loved her and loved each other. Now she would have to live knowing that what her father had lost most was his own ambition. Something wrong with your lunch? She glanced over, and the hand she had pressed protectively against her stomach fisted as Byron slid into the chair that tidings had vacated. Are you on dining room? Are you on dining room, Tito? I thought the brass stayed up in the lofty reins of the penthouse. Oh, we mingle with the lower floors occasionally. He signaled to a waitress. He'd been watching Kate for ten minutes. She had sat completely still, staring out the window, her meal untouched, her eyes dark miserable. The chicken bisque. You're too. I don't want anything. I hate to eat alone, he said smoothly as the waitress cleared the dishes. You can always play with it like you did your salad if you're not feeling well. The bisque can perk you up. I'm fine. I had a business lunch under the table. She pleated her napkin in her lap. She wasn't ready to get up. I wasn't sure her legs were strong enough. Who eats at a business lunch? Everyone. Leaning forward, he poured two glasses mineral. You'll look unhappy. I, had a cli- I have a client with an imbalance of passive income. That always makes me unhappy. What do you want to quit? A bowl of soup, a little conversation. You know, I developed this hobby of conversation as a child. I've never been able to break it. Thank you, Lorna. He said when the waitress set a basket of warm rolls between them, I've noticed that you very often have a bit of I've noticed that you often have a bit of trouble in that area. I'd be happy to help you as sort of buff. I don't like small talk. There you there you are, I do. He had a roll, he broke it apart and buttered it and butter. In fact, I'm interested in all manner of talk. Large, small, meaningless, profound. Why don't we start this particular conversation with me telling you that I've got an appointment to view that house you recommend. Good for you. Since the bread was in her hand now, she knew the root teller speaks highly of you. And Kate only grunted and scrowled down at the bowl of soup that was slipped under her nose. Byron smothered a grin. Damn, if she wasn't too much of a challenge to resist. I made you solicitate your services myself, as I'll be staying in Monterey. Hardly practical to keep my accountant back in Georgia. It's not necessary to have an accountant in the same location. If you're satisfied with his or her work, there's no need to change. That's the way to drum up business, kid. I also have a habit of eating. He continued, if you need help along those lines, I can tell you that you start by dipping your spoon into the soup. I'm not hungry. Think of it as medicine. It might put some color back in your cheeks. You not only look unhappy, Kate, you look tired, beaten down, and closing in on ill. Hoping it would shut him up, she spooned up some soup. Boy, now I'm all perked up. It's a miracle. When he only smiled at her, she sighed. Why did he have to sit there, acting so damn nice, and make her feel like such? I'm sorry. I'm lousy company. Was your business meeting difficult? Yes, of a matter of fact, because it was soothing, she sampled the biscuit. I'll deal with it. Why don't you tell me what you do when you're not dealing with different business problems, difficult business problems? The headache at the edges of her consciousness wasn't backing off, but it wasn't creeping closer. I deal with simple business manic problems. And when you're not dealing with business, she studied him narrowly, the mild, polite eyes. You are coming on to me. 
No, I'm considering coming on to you, which is entirely different. That's why we're having a basic conversation over a bowl of soup. His smile widened, flirted. It also gives you equal opportunity to consider whether or not you'd like to come on to me. Her lips twitched before she could stop him. I do appreciate a man who believes in gender equality. She also had to appreciate that for a few minutes, he'd taken her mind off her troubles. Then he, that he knew it, yet, that he knew it, it didn't push the point. I'm thinking I'm, I think I'm beginning to like you, Kate. You are, I believe, an acquired taste, and I've always enjoyed odd flavors. That's quite a statement. My heart's going pity-patty. <laughs> he laughed a quick, full-throaty, masculine sound that appealed how that appealed however much she would have preferred otherwise. Yeah, it's definite. I like you. You don't why don't we spend this conversation thing over a full meal? Say dinner tonight. She was tempted to agree for the simple reason that being around him made her think about something other than herself. But she said a napkin beside her bowl. She thought it would be best to err on the side of caution with a man like Byron DeWitt. I don't want to form habits too quickly. I have to get back to the office. She rose, amused when he automatically got to his feet. Gender equality or not, she decided he was a southern gentleman. Thanks for the soup. You're welcome. He took her hand, held it lightly and, lightly and enjoyed the faint line that popped up between her brows. Thanks for the conversation. We'll have to do it again. Hmm. What was her best response as she slid the strap of a briefcase over her shoulder and walked away. He watched her go and wondered what problem, business or otherwise, had made her look so devastated and so alone. The rumor mill was working overtime at Biddle and Associates. Every tiny, underripped fruit plucked from the grapevine was chewed lavishly at the water cooler, the coffee room, the storage closet. Larry Biddle and his sons, Lawrence Jr. and Martin, just calling Marty, continued their closed-door meetings with the other partners every morning. Copies of accounts were delivered to the group by Biddle Sr.'s tight-lipped, sharp-eyed executive assistant regularly. If she knew anything, went the wisdom of the water cooler, she was insane. They're working their way through every account, Roger told Cope. He hunted her down in the stockroom where she went to replenish her supply of computer paper. Maurice, in accounts receivable, receivable, and they're even going over Eternal Legends, and Beth, the Dragon Lady's assistant, says they've been on the hotline with the lawyers. Flips first, case grab a handful of trick-free number twos. Are you... Are all your sources female? No, but Mike in the mailroom is coming up dry. What's your take? Gotta figure internal audits. Yeah, that's fine, but here's the question, Kate. Why? And truth, that very question had been on her mind for days. She considered smart, ambitious, ruthless people had the best gossip. Since Roger fit, Roger fit all the requirements, she decided to share her thoughts in hopes of priming his pump. Okay, we've had a couple of really good years. In the past five, we've increased our client base by 15%. Biddle's growing, so I'm thinking an expansion, maybe a new branch. They'll put Lawrence in charge, add more associates, and give some of us the option of relocating. A big step like that would take a lot of thought and planning. The partners would want to focus hard on the bottom line. Could be. There's been noises about opening in the L.A. area. Snagging more media accounts. But I've been hearing other grumbles, too. He leaned closer, lowering his voice, and his eyes were about to say something. Larry's been thinking about passing the torch. Retiring. 
Why would he? Kate whispered in response. They sound like it's been. He's only 60. 62, Roger answered short. And you know how his wife likes those cruises. She's always booking him to go out, warm to yoke, around the mid. That sort of thing. How do you know that? Beth, the sister to the assistant. She got brochures for the old man. The Biddle's 14th anniversary is coming up this year. If he retires early, there's going to be a partnership swap up for grabs. No partner? It made sense. Perfect sense. All the meetings, the account checks, the current partners would have to weigh and judge, debate and discuss who would be most qualified to move up. She barely stopped herself from dancing the jig. She had to remind she had to remember who were, it was she was talking to. Roger was her toughest competitor. Maybe. She shrugged, though inside Glee was spreading like a lovely pink balloon. But I don't see Larry sailing off into the sunset yet, no matter how much his wife nags him. We'll see. Roger kept a slight smile on his face. But something's going on to happen, and it's going to happen soon. Kate walked sedately back to her office, closed the door, put her, put her supplies neatly away. Then she danced her jig. She didn't want to get ahead of herself. Didn't want to start projecting. The hell she didn't. Dropping into her chair, she spun her around once, twice, and giddily a third time. She had an MBA from Harvard, had graduated in the top 10% of her class. In the five years she worked for Biddle, she had brought in 12 new accounts through client recommendations and had lost only one to that jerk, Roger. But even that hadn't gone out of house. She personally generated over 200000 a year in billing. So did Roger, she admitted. She kept an eye on him. But when Marty had awarded her a raise last year, he told her she was considered the cream of Biddle's associates. Larry Biddle called her by her first name, and his wife and daughters-in-law had been known to drop by pretense to shop for partnership. A twenty at twenty-eight, she would be the youngest partner ever at Biddle. She would have exceeded by years her own rigid expectations of herself, and wouldn't it, in some way, erase the this taint she felt? The secret she had buried inside her, she was a success who would overshower all the rest. She allowed herself to dream about it. The new office, the new salary, the new prestige. She would be consulted on policy. Her opinion would be weighed and respected. Giggling, she leaned back in the chair and spun around. She would have a private secretary. She would have everything she ever wanted. Kate imagined picking up the phone, calling the Templetons in, Can in Kansas. They'd be so happy for her, so proud of her. Finally, she would be able to believe that everything that he'd done for her was deserved. She'd have a celebration with Margo and Laura. Oh, that would be sweet. At least, at long last, Kate Powell had come into her own, had done something important and solid. Years and years of work and study, of aching shoulders, tired eyes, and bonding, burning stomach would have paid off. All she had to do was wait. Forcing herself to push the dream to the back of her mind, she swirled her computer and got to work. She hummed as she ran figures, calculated expenditures, logged tax deductions, clucked over capital gains, and figured depression. As usual, she turned into the work, turned into the work, and lost track of time. Kate came up blinking when the pep beep from her watch told her it was five o'clock. Another fifteen minutes to close the file. She decided. They glanced up in mild annoyance at the knock on her door. Yes? Miss Powell, who had seen a new wound, Newman, or the Dragon Lady, as she was unaffectionately called among the rank and file, stood imposingly in the door. We wanted in the main conference room. Oh? Kate's heart gave a wild, joyful leap, but she kept her face. 
thanks, Miss Newman. I'll be right there. Well aware that her hands were trembling with anticipation, Kate pressed them together in a lap. She had to be cool and professional, but it wasn't going to offer partnership to a giddy, giggling woman. She had to be what she always was, what they expected her to be, practical, level-headed, and oh, she was going to savor the moment, remember every detail. Later, when she was out of sight and earshot, she would scream all the way to Templeton House. Kate rolled down her sleeves, shrugged into her jacket, and smoothed it into place. She hesitated over taking her briefcase, then decided it only made her look more dedicated to the job. With measuring steps, she took the stairs to the next floor, walked past the partner's office toward the executive conference room. No one who chanced to see her in the quiet corridor would have realized her feet weren't touching the tasteful tan carpet. She thumbed an antacid out of the roll in her pocket, knowing it would do little to calm her jittery stomach. She wondered if a bribe on her wedding night could feel any more nervous and thrilled than she did as she raised a hand and knocked politely in the thick panel door. Come in. She lifted her chin, but a polite smile on her face as she turned the knob. They were all there, and her heart gave another skipping leap. All the partners, the five powers of the firm, were seated around the long, glossy table. Large tumblers of water stood by each place. She skimmed her gaze over each of them, wanting to remember this moment. Fusty Calvin Myers with his usual suspenders and the red bow tie. Elegant and terrifying Amanda Devon, looking stern and beautiful. Marty, of course, sweet and homely and rumpled. Lawrence Jr., steady, balding and cool. And, of course, the senior Spittle. She had always thought he looked like Spencer Tracy that lived in a face. The sweet white hair, the stocky, powerful little body. Her pulse pumped, aware that all eyes were on him. He wanted to see me? Sit down, Kate. From his seat at the head of the table, Fiddle gestured to one at the feet. Yes, sir. He cleared his throat. She took her chair, settled. Settle. We thought it best to meet you at the end of the work day. You're aware, I'm sure, that we've been involved in, involved for the past several days in a check of our account. Yes, sir. She smiled. Speculation's been racing down the corridors. When he didn't smile back, she felt a nervous tickle at the back of her head. It's hard not to get on the rumor train, sir. Yes, he let her brows for hands. A discrepancy is in an income tax payment came to Mr. Biddle Jr.'s attention last week. A discrepancy, her gaze shifted to the north. In the Sunstream account, he clarified. That's one of mine. The nervous tickle at the back of her throat changed to a nervous dread in her stomach. Had she made some sort of stupid error in the chaos of the tax fund? What kind of discrepancy? The client's copy of the tax form indicates a federal payment due of $7,648. Lawrence opened a file, took out a thick stack of paper. Is this your work, Miss Powell? He was the only biddle who called her Miss Powell. Everyone in the firm was accustomed to his formality, but it was the clip manner of his speech that put her on alert. Carefully, she took out her glasses and slipped them on as the papers were passed out. Yes, she said after a quick glance. It's my account. I did the tax work. This is my signature. And as with several of our clients, the firm cuts the checks for tax payments for this one. Some prefer it. She dropped her hands into her lap. It distances them a bit from the sting, and it's more convenient. Convenient, the man had come and introduced Kate's eye. For whom? This was trouble. It was all Kate could think, but from what? And where many clients prefer to come into the office, discuss the tax situation and the results, argue and vent. They all knew this. She thought, skimming the table again. 
Why did she have to explain? The client will sign the necessary forms, and the account exec will issue the check out of escrow. Miss Powell. Morris took another stack of papers. Can you explain this? As smoothly as possible, Kate whipped her damp palm, wiped her damp palms on her skirt, then studied the forms passed to her. Her mind went momentarily blank. She blinked, focused, swallowed hard. I'm not sure I understand. This is another copy of the 1040 file for something, but the tax due amount is different. $2,200 less, Amanda pointed out. This is the form on the payment made on April 15th of this year to the IRS. The check drawn out of escrow was for this amount. I don't understand when or how the other copy was generated, Caitlin. All worksheets are filed, of course, by an exec's forms are shredded. But an excess forms are shredded. Kate little drew her attention with one quiet word. The excess money was transferred via computer out of the client's escrow account in cash. In cash? She repeated blankly. Since this came to our attention, we initiated a check on all accounts. Little's face was grave as he watched. Since late March of this year, amounts that total $75,000 have been withdrawn from escrow accounts. $75,000 in excess of tax payments, computer withdrawals, in cash from your account. Are my clients? She felt the blood drain out of her face. Couldn't stop it. It's the same pattern. Calvin Mayer spoke for the first time, tugging on his bright red tongue. Two copies of the 1040, small adjustments on various forms, the total excess on the client's company in amounts, ranging from $1,200 to $2,100, both dollar sheets. We might not have caught it, but a golf was Sid's son. He'd had a winner about a whiner about taxes and kept after me to look over his form and be certain there was nothing else he could use to cut his payment. Embezzlement? Were they accusing her of embezzlement? Was that? This some awful nightmare? They knew about her father and thought, no, no, that was impossible. While her hand flexed nervously in her lap, she kept going, you examined one of my accounts. Calvin lived in an eyebrow. The last thing he expected from steady as it goes, Cape out and blank was blank eyed Peter. I did so to get him off my back, and in examining his copy, I found several small errors. I thought it best to look further and pulled out a filed copy of his latest return. She couldn't feel anything. Even her fingertips were kind of... You think I stole $75,000 from my clients from this firm? Kate. If you could just explain how you think this might have happened, Martin, we're all here to listen. No, her father had stolen from clients. Her father, not her. How could you think it? Her voice shook shame. Her. You haven't come to any confirmed conclusions. Amanda can counter. The facts, the numbers, however, are here in black and white. Black and white, she thought, as the print blur, as if overlapping with visions of newspaper articles from 20 years. No, I should lift it a hand over her eyes to clear them. It's not. I didn't. Amanda tapped one scarlet nail on the table top. She expected outrage. It counted on the outrage of the innocent. Instead, what she saw was the trembling of the guilty. If Marty hadn't gone to bat for you, he hadn't insisted we search for some irrational explanation, even incompetence on your part, we would have had this meeting days ago. Amanda, Biddle said gently, quietly, but she said, Larry, this is embezzlement and over and above the legal ramifications. Clients' trust and confidence have been considered. We need to clear this matter up quickly. I've never taken a penny, not a penny, from any client. 
though terrified that her legs would buckle. Kate shot to her feet. She would not be sick, she told herself, though her stomach was heaving in her. I couldn't! Seemed to be all she could say. I couldn't! Lawrence Brown and his Miss Powell. Money is easy hidden, laundered spent. We've assisted a number of clients' investments, accounts in the Caymans, and so Investments? Bad investments? She pressed the end of her throbbing temple. No, that had been a, That's not my job. That's my job. I do my job. Recently opened a business telephone. I'm one third partner in a second-hand boutique. Grief of fear and nausea swirled inside her. Made her hands shake. She had to be coherent. She ordered herself, shaking and weeping, only made her look guilty. It took almost all my savings to do it. She drew in a breath that burned, started staring into Biddle's eyes. Mr. Biddle, her voice broke as she had been. Mr. Biddle, I've worked for you for five years. You hired me a week out of graduating school. I've never given this for anything but my complete loyalty and dedication, and I've never given a client anything but my best. I'm not a thief. I find it difficult to believe you. Oh, Kate, I've known you since you were a child and always considered my decisions to hire you one of my best judgment calls. I know your family. Pause, waiting for her to rebound, to expose her fury at being used, to demand the, to assist the firm in finding the answers when she did nothing to stay blind and get noticed. However, this, is a, this matter can't be ignored. We'll continue to investigate internally for now. It may become necessary to go outside the firm with us. To the police, the thought of it dissolved her legs so that she had to brace herself with a hand on the table. Her vision grain was, you're going to the police. <laughs> if it becomes necessary, Biddle, we hope to resolve the matter quietly. Biddle and Associates is responsible at this point for adjusting the escrow accounts. Biddle would study the woman standing at the end of the table. The partners have agreed that it's in the firm's best interest for you to take a leave of absence until this is cleared up. You're suspending me because you think I'm a thief. Kate, we need to look into this carefully, and we need to do whatever is in the best interest of our client. A suspected embezzler can't handle accounts. The tears were going to come, but not yet. She could hold them back this long. You're firing me. A leave of absence, Beetle replied. It's the same thing. Accusations disgrace. You don't believe me? You think I've stolen from our clients, and you want me out of the office? It's all over. At this time, yes. Any personal items in your office will upset you. I'm sorry, Kate. Marty will escort you out of the building. She let off her I haven't done anything but my best. Picking up a briefcase, she turned stiffly. Walked I'm sorry, Christ, Kate. With his lumbering stride, Marty caught up with What a mess. What a disaster. He started huffing when she took the stairs down in the middle. I couldn't turn them around. She stopped ignoring the pain in her stomach. The throbbing nerve. Do you believe me, Marty? Do you believe me? She saw the flicker of doubt in his earnest. Motovic eyes were green. I know there's an explanation you took for getting on the phone. It's all right. She made herself push through the glass doors of the lobby level. Kate, if there's anything I can do for you in any way, I can help. Fell off lamely standing by the door. She all but ran her. Nothing, she said to herself. There's just nothing. The last minute, she stopped herself from running to Templeton House, to Laura, to Annie, to anyone who would fold her in comforting arms and take her aside. She swung her car to the side of the road rather than up the steep, winding drive. She got out and walked to the cliffs. She could stand alone, she promised herself. She had shocks, surveyed tragedies before. She'd lost her parents, and there was nothing more devastating than that. 
There had been boys she dreamed over in high school who had never dreamed back. She'd gotten over it. Her friend's lover, her first lover in college, had grown bored with her, broken her heart, and moved on. She hadn't crumbled. Once, years before, she had fantasized about finding Safiri's diary all alone or bearing it proudly home to her aunt and uncle. She had learned to live without that triumph. She was afraid. She was so afraid. Like father, like daughter. Oh, dear God. Would it come out now? Would it all come out? And how much more demand, damning then? What would this do to the people who loved her, who had such hopes for her? What was, what was people said? Blood will tell. Had she done something? Made some ridiculous mistake? Christ. How could she think clearly now when her life had been turned upside down and shattered at her feet? She had to wrap her arms tight around her body against the spring breeze, which now seemed frigid. She committed no crime, she reminded herself. She'd done nothing wrong. All she'd done was lose a job. Just a job. It had nothing to do with the past, nothing to do with blood, nothing to do with where she had come from. With a whimper, she eased down onto a rock. Who was she trying to fool? Somehow it had to do with everything. How could it not? She lost what she had taught herself to value most next to family, success, and reputation. Now she was exactly what she'd always been afraid she was, a failure. How could she face them, any of them, with the fact that she'd been fired, was under suspicion of embezzling, that she had, as she always advised her clients not to, put all of her eggs in one basket, only to see it smashed. But she would have to face them. She had to tell her family before someone else did. Oh, and someone would. It wouldn't take long. She didn't have the luxury of digging a hole and hiding in it. Everything she was and did was attached to the Templetons. What would her aunt and uncle think? They would have to see the parallel. If they doubted her, she could stand anything. Anything at all except that their doubt and disappointment. She reached in her pocket. Chewed viciously on her tongues and wished for a bottle of aspirin or some of the handy tranks Margot had once used. To think she'd once been so disdained of those little crutches. To think she had once considered Sophia a fool and a coward for choosing to leap rather than stay and face her loss. She looked out to sea, then rose, and walked to walked closer to the edge. The rocks below were mean. That was what she'd always liked best about them. Those jagged, unforgiving spears standing up defiantly to come to the constant, violent crash of water. She had to be like the rocks now, she thought. She had to stand and face whatever happened next. Her father hadn't been strong. He hadn't stood. He hadn't faced it. And now, in some twisted way, she was paying the price. Byron studied her from the side of the road. He'd seen her car whiz past as he was even Josh's house. He wasn't sure what impulse had pushed him to follow her. Still wasn't sure what was making him stay. There was something about the way she looked, standing there at the edge of the cliff so long it made him nervous and a little annoyed that vulnerability again he supposed a quiet needless neediness that called to his protective side he wouldn't have pegged her as the type to walk the cliffs or stay stare out to see he nearly got back in his car and drove off but he shoved and decided that since he was here he might as well enjoy the view hell of a spot he said as he walked up to her and gave her permission pleasure gave him Perverse pleasure to see a job. I was enjoying it, she muttered and kept her back to me. Plenty of you were due to enjoy. I saw your car, and when he got a look at her, saw that her eyes were damp. He'd always been a compelled to drive one through. Bad day. He muttered and offered her hand. It's just windy. Not that windy. I wish you'd go away. 
Originally, I tried to comply with women's requests. Since I'm not going to in your case, why don't you sit down and tell me about it? Took her arm, thinking the tension, and it was edgy enough to cut back. Think of me as a priest. He suggested dragging her with him. I wanna be I wanted to be one once. To use some clever phrases? Bullshit. Not really. He pulled her down on a rock with him. I was eleven, then puberty hit and the rest is history. She tried and failed. Took free and ran. Did it ever occur to you that I don't want to talk to you? That I want to be alone to soothe because her voice was catching helplessly. He stroked the hand over her hand. It crossed my mind, but I rejected it. People who feel sorry for themselves always want to talk about it. That, next to sex, was the main reason I decided against the seminary and dancing. Priests don't get lots of opportunity to dance with pretty women, which I suppose is the same thing as sex. Well enough about me. Put a determined hand under her chin and lifted it. She was pale. Those long, spiky lashes were wet, and those deep, dark eyes, though eyes damp, but... Your eyes aren't red enough for you to have a good cry yet. I'm not a sniffler. Listen, kid. My sister highly recommends a good cry, and she'd deck you for calling her a sniffler. Gently, he rubbed his thin thumb over the kitchen. Screaming's good, too, and throwing breakables. There's a lot of that in my house. There's no point. Venting. He interrupted smoothly. Purging. There aren't any breakables around here, but you could let out a good scream. Emotion swelled up inside her. Threatened to choke her. Furiously, she jerked her face free of his head. I don't need you or anyone to charm me out of a mood. I can handle my own problems just fine. If I need a friend, all I have to do is go up to the house. Up to the house? She repeated as her gaze focused on the towering structure of stone and wood and glass that held everything precious to her. Covering her face with her hands, she broke. <laughs> That's a girl, he murmured, relieved by the natural flow of tears. Come here now. He drew her close, choking her hair. Get it all out. She couldn't stop. Didn't matter who he was. His arms were strong. His voice understanding. With her face buried against his chest, she sobbed out the frustration, the grief, the fear. Let herself for one liberating moment be coddled. He rested his cheek on her hair, held her tightly, lightly because she seemed so small, so fragile. Good grip might shatter those thin bones. Tears soaked through his shirt, cooled from hot to cold. I'm, I'm sorry. Damn it. She would have pulled away, but he continued to hold her. She humiliated. She squeezed her aching eyes. I never would have done that if you left me alone. You're better off this way. It's unhealthy to hold everything in. Automatically, he kissed the top of her head where he's in her mat to study her face. Why it should have charmed him? Wet, blotchy streak. Wet, blotchy streak would mask her as if it was. He couldn't have said but he had a trembling urge to shift her onto his lap. Kiss that soft, eh, soft, sad mouth to stroke her again, not quite so consolingly. Bad move, he cautioned himself and wondered how an, any man faced with such sexual distress could think like a priest. Now that you look better, he took the handkerchief she balled up in her fist and mopped her face. But you should feel better enough to tell me why you're so upset. It's nothing to do with you. So what? She could feel another sob bubbling in her chest and blurted out the words before I got fired. He continued calmly, cleaning the dryer face. Why? They think her voice They think I take a breath, he advertised, and say it fast. They think I stole money out of the client's escrow. Embezzled 
75,000 without watching her face. We're throwing linen back in his pocket. Why? Because, because they're duplicated 40s and money missing, and they're my clients. My father, my father, but she couldn't say that, not out loud. At fits and starts, she babbled out the gist of her meeting with the partners. A great deal of it was incoherent, details crisscrossing and overlapping, but he continued to nod and listen. I didn't take any money. She let out a long run steady run. I don't expect you to believe me, but... Of course I believe you. It was her turn to gather her with... Why? Leaning back a little, he took out a cigar. She on the flame one of his lighter. The captain, in my line of work, you get to handle people quickly. You've been around the hotel business most of your life. You know how it is. There are plenty of times with guests or staff that you have to make a snap judgment. You're better to be accurate. Puffing on smoke, he studied her. My take on you, Catherine, in the first five minutes was, well, among other things, that you're the type of woman who would choke on her own integrity before she loosened it to breathe. Her breath came out shaky with some of the panickies. I appreciate it, I think. I'd have to say you work for a bunch of short-sighted idiots. She stood there at Catherine's. There you go. He smiled, ran a finger down her cheek when she glared. A flash there in those big brown eyes. That's better. So you're going to take it lying down. Rising, she straightened her shoulder. I can't think about how or what I can take now. I only know I wouldn't work at Biddle again if they came crawling on their hands and knees through broken glass. That's not what I meant. I meant someone's embezzling and pointing a finger at you. What are you going to do about it? I don't care. You don't care. He still shook his head. I find that hard to believe. The Catherine Powell I've seen is a scrapper. I said I don't care that her voice itched again. If she fought, looked too close, demanded too much, they might uncover what her father had done, then it would be worse. There's nothing I can do. You've got a brain, he corrected. It doesn't feel like it at the moment. She put a hand to her head. Everything inside was mushy and aching. They can't do anything else to me because I don't have the money, and they've never been able to prove I do. As far as I'm concerned right now, Barney who's skimming... Is Biddle's problem, and I just want to be left alone. Surprise there, he said. I'd want their asses. Right now, I just want to be able to get through the next few hours. I have to tell my family. She closed her eyes. Earlier today, I actually thought, hoped, that I was going to be called in and offered a partnership. Signs indicated, she said bitterly. I couldn't wait to tell them. Brag. But he said it gently, with hardly anything. I suppose. Look at what I did. Be proud of me, because... Well, that's done. Now I have to tell them that I lost it all, and the prospect of getting another position for financing any clients are nil for the foreseeable future. Their family stepped toward her and laid his hands on her shoulders. Families stand by each other. I know that. For a moment, she wanted to take his hand. In such big, confident hands, she wanted to take it and press it to her cheek. Instead, she stepped back turned around. That makes it worse. I can't begin to tell you how much worse. Now I'm feeling sorry for myself all over again. It comes and goes, Kate. Well aware that they were doing a little dance and dodging physical contact, he draped an arm around her shoulder. Do you want me to go up there with you? No! She was appalled because for an instant she wanted to say yes, to lean her head against the broad shoulder close to her eyes and let him leave. No, I have to do it. She slipped away from him again. Face. This was awfully nice of you. Really nice. His smile 
he smiled his dimples deepening. That wouldn't have been insulting if you hadn't sounded quite so surprised. I didn't mean to be insulting. She managed to smile on me. I meant to be grateful. I am grateful, Father DeWitt. Testing, he lifted a hand, skimming his fingers through a short cap of hair. I decided I don't want you to think of me as a priest after all. His hand slid down the back of her neck. It's that sex thing again. She felt in herself. Inconvenient little hormonal types. It seemed a good, a good as response as any, and certainly said, I'd better get, go get this done. Eyes rarely on his. She backed. I'll see you around. Apparently you will. He stepped forward. She backed up again. What are you doing? What are you doing? Amused at both of them, he raised his eyebrow. Going to my car. I'm parked behind you. Oh, well, as casually as possible, she turned and walked to the car as he fell on the step beside her. I, uh, have you seen the house yet? The one on 17th mile? I have an appointment to view tonight, as it happens. Good, that's good. She jangled her keys in her pocket before pulling them out. Well, I hope you like it. I'll let you know. He closed the hand over hers on the door handle when her gaze flew suspiciously to his. He smiled. My daddy told me to open doors for ladies. Consider it a southern thing. She's right. Slid into the guard. Well, behind. I'll be in touch. She wanted to ask what that was supposed to mean, but he was already walking toward his own car. Besides, she had a pretty good idea. End of chapter 4.